we could all use some more joy in life. But how do you find God-sized joy? That's today on our podcast. Hey everyone, it's Karen G. from the Tower Hill Communications team. Thanks for tuning into our weekly podcast. You can listen here each week to catch up on our latest sermons, and we hope that what you hear inspires you to want more so that you'll continue on your own personal faith journey. Advent continues on this week as we're leading up to Christmas, so let's kick it off to Pastor Jason Tucker right now for part three of our sermon series called The Promise. Good morning, Tower Hill Church Online. I'm Pastor Jason. It's so good to be with you again today during our Advent season. And it's so funny how we are connecting through this medium here. And I feel like I feel like I'm with you. And I hope you feel like that I'm with you too, that um, that we are actually connecting. And I think by the Spirit of God, we are connecting. I hope that you are having a good Advent season so far, and I hope this sermon series is helping you to cultivate more hope and joy and love and peace, because we all need it. We all need a little Christmas now, as we've been talking about the last couple of weeks, that we all are Clark Griswold, wanting the biggest, best, most perfect Christmas to cover up all of the anxiety or the sense of loss or the pain of the last two years. We need, we need Christmas big. And I know some of you, you put up your Christmas lights super early, right? Earlier than usual. Listen, you do you. No judgment here. But we're doing that because we're just craving what God can give. And I think it's a reminder for us that no matter how big we go on Christmas, how many lights we put up, it's still only something that God can give. So how do we cultivate that over the next couple of weeks? Before we get into our topic for today, our next theme of Advent, I want to share with you something that I think will help. It's sort of like an answer key to some things that we're talking about later on in the message. And that is this idea in the Old Testament about a highway in the wilderness. This gets brought up a lot in the Old Testament and the prophets and in the New Testament as well. And we're going to look at a couple places where it does. But first, I want to give you a little bit of background. A highway is... Kind of like a highway now. It was a road that's built higher than other roads to make it easier, faster, uh, safer for travel between destinations. And you can imagine in the ancient Near East when people were traveling by camel or by foot in caravans um, and going through the wilderness, there were always obstacles in their path. There was the threat of wild animals attacking you. Uh, There was a threat of the road being so rough that it could hurt your feet or your animals. You really wanted a smooth road that was as obstacle-free as possible, especially with all the way that you traveled back then. You weren't driving in a car. But also, um, it's something that they would do often for royalty or for kings, is to make a highway, make a clear path. And you'd hear scripture that talks about this, right? Make, Make the way straight, for the king. Make the way straight. And this became a a theme that was lifted up in scripture over and over again to also talk about how we are to walk with God, that God is making our way straight. The obstacles of sin he is removing so that we can walk in the way of the Lord. So it's a really rich theme. And um, this is a picture, uh, this is from BibleWalk.com. This is a picture of a road 
uh, outside of Jerusalem. And the idea is that this is kind of what the highways were. They would just make a dedicated path that was safer and as obstacle-free as possible. You have to worry about robbers or wild animals attacking you. It was a way of providing safe passage. And remember that as we go into this next theme of this week. You know, I was reading Mark's gospel this morning, actually. I was reading it devotionally, and I, um, I started on Mark chapter 1, and I noticed something that was really interesting to me, and I think it sort of acts like a, an intro to the rest of the message. So let me read the first three verses of the Gospel of Mark. It says, The beginning of the good news about Jesus the Messiah, the Son of God. As it is written in Isaiah the prophet, I will send my messenger ahead of you who will prepare your way. A voice of one calling in the wilderness, prepare the way for the Lord, make straight paths for him. Now, of course, talking about John the Baptist and making a way, but there's something interesting here. It's not just making the way for the Lord or preparing the way, making his path straight. He says, preparing, there's somebody going ahead of you. My messenger's going ahead of you to prepare your way. It really struck me when I was reading that. So much so, I started diving into a bunch of resources to find out why is it just there where it talks about not just the way, being the way of God, but preparing your way, that somehow the messenger, John the Baptist, was preparing our way, not just Jesus' way. And really, it's lifting up, I think, teasing out this theme of what we think about in Advent, and that is, how do we make straight paths for Jesus in our lives? How do we do that? How is, first of all, how is John the Baptist are showing us the way? But, but I think, too, in our everyday lives, in our modern life of faith, what are the obstacles that are in the way, that are blocking Jesus in our lives? Can we identify some things where we are slowing down the path of Jesus as he runs through our hearts? It's a call not just to make the path straight for Jesus, but to allow Jesus to make the path straight for us. A call for us to walk the way of God. This is something in Scripture talked about a lot, about walking in the way. Of course, we have Jesus later on in the Gospel of John saying, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And this idea of walking in it is so important because, and I feel like we've talked about this a lot in the last couple of weeks, but I'm going to say it again. It's one thing to believe here that Jesus is the way. It's quite another thing to walk in that way, to live it, to let it influence your daily actions and habits. And I think that's what this is getting at. So with this theme, I think really this is the theme that is the beating heart of what Advent is all about. What's Advent? means coming or arrival. We talked about it's an active waiting. We're preparing the way for Jesus. We're making a highway for Jesus. And Jesus is making a way for us. Even through, not just the easy places, but the hard places, the wilderness of our lives. And so as we wait for Jesus to show up, we wait with this active expectancy. We are preparing him room, so to speak, in the wilderness of our hearts. 
So today we're talking about, as we look at the promises of God and what does it mean to actively wait upon God, it, all, it means cultivating God-sized joy. And that's the third theme of Advent. I love Christmas movies. Again, just saw a Christmas story. It was just on last night. And my son and I were watching it for a little while. That's the kind of movie, like, you see parts of it about 50 times a Christmas season. And, and you always seem to catch the same parts. But uh, this part right in the beginning, uh, when they're sitting outside the department store and they're looking, kids are going you know, have their faces against the glass, looking at all the toys. And, and it says, we just saw the sight of pure, mechanized joy. <laughs> And, you know, you think about the joy of being a kid at Christmas and the toys and the excitement and the magic of, of all of that. And it instills some really, or it evokes some really wonderful memories. And I have a lot of wonderful memories as a kid and the joy of the toys and the stuff and the gifts. And then you think about the joy of just the season and being with friends and ugly Christmas sweater parties and, <laughs> right, and all of that. Um, and, man, and, you know, and this guy looks so happy to be in an ugly Christmas sweater. But being with other people, and then you have the joy of family. And all of this is really good. But, but didn't you notice, this is the kind of joy that's, that's fleeting. I mean, the joy of the mechanized joy doesn't sustain the kid for the entire year. Just like the joy of having meals and Christmas parties doesn't sustain us for much longer after we have them. I think that's the difference between happiness and joy. Or maybe it's the difference between human joy and God-sized joy. But the question we all should be asking is, is this the joy we've been waiting for? Is this the joy of Jesus Christ? Well, I mean, it can be associated with it, but it's not exactly the same thing. It's really more the human joy cycle, which uh, we've talked about this before, but it bears repeating that the human joy cycle is this idea that begins with my achievements. So I, I'm, I achieve something in my life and that in turn gives me confidence in my resources because I've achieved a lot or I've, I can achieve something. Or I feel good about my achievements. So I rely on my resources to then deliver expectations, whatever that is in my life, to deliver expectations. And when that happens, it gives me more confidence in my achievements, which gives me more confidence in my resources so I could deliver the expectations that I am looking for. This is human joy. When this works, it works until it doesn't, <laughs> right? Human joy is easily wrecked. All it takes is one little thing goes wrong. And a whole wrench goes right into the spokes of that wheel. It can derail everything. Right? So, oh, my achievements are good. And sorry, lean on my resources. And then I don't meet my expectations. Well, then maybe I have a little less confidence in my achievements. Or maybe my achievements don't seem to be measuring up. So I don't have as much confidence in my resources. And it doesn't take much for us to lose confidence and therefore lose joy. Now, I think one of the biggest things in the Christian life is understanding that our own selves is not, is not where joy really comes from. That's, that's human joy, which comes and goes. It's, it's fleeting. And that doesn't seem like the kind of joy that is so earth-shattering and game-changing as the joy of Jesus Christ. And it's not. It's not the same thing. Because joy is not something that I achieve. 
It's not for lack of trying. But joy, God-sized joy, is not something I can achieve. Listen, you are smart and capable, and you can achieve quite a bit in your life. But you can't achieve God-sized joy. What's God-sized joy? It's the kind of joy that plays like background music in your life no matter what's going on. The ups, the downs, the good, the bad, the ugly. You have a joy that can never be taken away. It's a joy that Jesus brings that can't be contained. You've met people like this before. People who seem to be just going through it, going through some really hard times, but they don't lose their joy. And you're like, what is that? How do they do that? Because their joy is not something they produce. It's something they receive. Joy is God's work in the midst of the desert, in the midst of the wilderness. It's the surprising blooming of the desert when, when there is no water to make it bloom. Well, here, let's look at Isaiah, and, uh, and we get a sense of the joy that comes from God. The desert and the parched land will be glad. The wilderness will rejoice and blossom. This is all prophecies leading up to Jesus Christ, right, in Isaiah. Will, the wilderness will rejoice and blossom. Like the crocus, it will burst into bloom. It will rejoice greatly and shout for joy. The glory of Lebanon will be given to it. The splendor of Carmel and Sharon. By the way, these are all cities that were uh, known to have items of beauty, na great natural beauty between trees and flowers and things. The most, some of the most beautiful places in the world that they knew of. Saying the glory of these places, the splendor of these places, they will see the glory of the Lord, the splendor of our God. Verse 5, then will the eyes of the blind be opened and the ears of the deaf unstopped. Then will the lame leap like a deer and the mute tongue shout for joy. Water will gush forth in the wilderness and streams in the desert. The burning sand will become a pool, the thirsty ground bubbling springs in the haunts where jackals once lay. Grass and reeds and papyrus will grow and a highway will be there. It will be called the way of holiness. It will be for those who walk on that way. The unclean will not journey on it. Wicked fools will not go about on it. No lion will be there, no, nor any ravenous beast. They will not be found there, but only the redeemed will walk there. And those the Lord has rescued will return. They will enter Zion with singing. Everlasting joy will crown their heads. Gladness and joy will overtake them. And sorrow and sighing will flee away. Oh my gosh, what a powerful passage of God-sized joy. You see, joy isn't something that I achieve. Joy is the result of God achieving something, of God doing the impossible in my life. Blooming wilderness when it's so parched and dry. The miraculous works of God. Life in the face of death. And this life not coming from my achievements, but coming from God's achievements. I can't help but think of my mom's story. Um, many of you know her story, and you know I've shared a lot about her because it was just such a big part of my life, losing her young. and She was only 49 when she passed away. And, of course, my story of coming to faith was years earlier. I had this faith experience, and, 
you know, my mom and dad weren't real happy about my faith experience because they didn't understand it. They thought maybe, you know, I stumbled upon a cult or something or, you know. Um, and my mom, my mom came around and I never thought she would come to know the Lord. She was a good person. She, one of the best people I've ever known in my life. But I didn't think she would come around to Jesus um, because, you know, she and my stepdad were so against my own Christian faith. And she told me one day, uh, you know, I came in and came into the house and she was hanging up the phone and she says, Jason, I just became a Christian. And I'm like, what? She's like a, a woman on the from the church who had been supporting us. You know, they, uh, they're a local church, sort of adopted our family because they heard that we were going through some hard times. And she said, a woman prayed with me and asked if I wanted to accept Jesus. And I said, yes. And I was like, what? And I, I mean, talk about impossible things happening. Talk about a blooming desert. I, I just, my first reaction wasn't, wasn't happiness. It was, it was confusion. <laughs> I was just like, wait, what happened? And what changed your mind? And she said, Jason, I saw how your life changed over the last couple of years. You're a different person. And I realized that whatever it was that you had was something that was real, and I wanted it. I mean, and that's all by God, because I felt like I was doing a horrible job of being a Christian. I, I didn't always do the right thing. And listen, this is the joy of the Lord in my life. No matter what goes on in my life, I have seen and experienced the impossible. And that brings me such a deep joy. Nothing could take it away. Nothing. The joy that I once was lost and now I'm found, that kind of joy, God doing the impossible, changes our lives. It does something to us. See, God's joy cycle is all about, well, God. It's God's achievements. I trust in those. And so I rely on God's resources that end up exceeding my expectations which makes me trust in God's achievements even more. The God joy cycle is never something that's dependent on my ups and downs of life. It's depend, dependent upon what God has done, is doing, and will do in my life. And therefore, it is never-ending. It's a never-ending well of joy, no matter how painful things might be in my circumstance. This is the kind of joy that we're talking about. This is God-sized joy. This is the promise of God. This is what it means to cultivate joy in the midst of the Advent season. Joy is not something I achieve, it's something I receive. I love how Mary, who sings a song to God in the Gospel of Luke, it just lives this out. Here's this young woman, many think a young teenage girl, who is plucked out of obscurity to be the bearer of the Son of God and her whole, whatever plans she had in her life are now over. They're different. She has new plans. And her reaction isn't to sort of be upset about the loss of what she previously wanted. It's about what God is doing. It's not about her joy cycle. It's about God's joy cycle that's feeding her. Well, well let's read it here. This is Luke chapter 1, uh, beginning in verse 46. And Mary said, my soul glorifies the Lord and my spirit rejoices 
in God my Savior. For he has been mindful of the humble state of his servant. From now on, all generations will call me blessed. For the mighty one has done great things for me. Holy is his name. His mercy extends to those who fear him from generation to generation. He has performed mighty deeds with his arm. He has scattered those who are proud in their inmost thoughts. He has brought down rulers from their thrones, but has lifted up the humble. He has filled the hungry with good things, but has sent the rich away empty. He has helped his servant Israel, remembering to be merciful to Abraham and his descendants forever, just as he promised our ancestors. Mary saying, I have joy because of what God has done. God's enduring, unending faithfulness. His works that never stop working for us. And we are just so grateful that he has transformed our lives, that he has trusted us to be his children, that he has made a way in the wilderness of sin for the impossible to happen. That's us to have a relationship with God. Mary just lives that out in a really beautiful way. So how do you cultivate this God-sized joy? How do you get more of it in your life? Well, the first step is you just have to receive it. You have to understand joy is not a product of my success. Now, that can give you a, a certain amount of human joy, but that's going to fade. That will last only as long. You know, there's sort of an afterglow of success, and then it fades. Then you're looking for the next success. This is different. This never leaves you because it's based on what God is doing constantly. So we have to receive it. We have to say, all right, God, it's, it's good that I have achievements in my life and I feel good about those things, but that's not where my joy really comes from. I'm not dependent upon the success or failure of my own initiatives. I have a joy that comes from you. And Lord, I thank you that you saved me. You saved me from sin and death. I've seen you do the impossible in my life, and I'll never stop giving thanks. That gives me joy. And then you have to choose it. It's one thing to receive it. You have to choose it every day. Because uh, we're all tempted to settle for human-sized joy, aren't we? We have to choose to say, no, listen, that didn't quite work out. Or that did work out. And I experienced joy. But you know what? There's an even greater joy. It's the joy of Jesus Christ. It's sort of a daily, almost self-talk of the Spirit. Saying, I'm going to decide to choose joy today. And especially as helpful when we're going through it. We're going through a time like we've all been in the last two years. No, no, no. As bad as things are, and I'm tempted to not be joyful, I'm going to choose the joy of the Lord today. You'll be amazed at what that does in your life, in your heart, in your relationships. It's incredible. It's transformative. And, and really, that's kind of a fancy way of saying the third thing. You got to walk in it. You got to walk and you got to walk the way of God. It's not just a intellectual exercise. It's an all-in endeavor. It's your whole life. Joy is not something I achieve. You know what it is? It's someone I receive. It's Jesus Christ. Jesus is the impossible way through the wilderness. And once we start to understand that, and once we start to walk in that way, we start to live into the promise. Our Savior has come, and he's going to keep coming in your life. 
you want him to. Amen.